Going Linux, episode 354, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinks at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. And today's episode, of course, is listener feedback. Hello, Bill. Hello, Larry. Happy second day of fall. (laughs) Yes, or autumn for those of us uh, not in um, North America, where we tend to call it fall. And I understand uh, in Europe it's it's autumn. Uh, autumn, not fall. And of course, in the Southern Hemisphere, welcome to spring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Uh, Touche. <laughs> so it's either spring or fall, but or autumn. Let me get that right. Yeah, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> So, I have to give a shout-out to Sean. He sent you an email, which he forwarded to me, about getting my Guild Wars 2 running better. So, uh-huh. I followed the instructions. Yes. And, well, it is running even better under Linux than it did under Windows 10 or Windows oh, 7. That's good news, yeah. Yeah, let I me mean, just to give you the um, the base uh, comparisons before before the tweaks, just on the standard Linux installed. You know, I was whining about not having um, good enough frame rates for my hardware that I have. So it used mm-hmm. to run uh, in the bigger big cities, uh, like he'll know what I'm talking about, Lion's Arch, where there's a lot of people. Uh, it would it would struggle, you know, twenty eight, thirty four, and and when I'm out in the middle of nowhere, it would sometimes settle in about thirty five, maybe thirty eight on good days. <laughs> so after the tweaks, uh, it sits at sixty eight. That is quite an improvement. <laughs> yeah, sixty five, sixty eight in Lions Arts. And runs about 90 to 98 out in the open world. So it's wow. a huge difference. And these are the same settings. Hmm. So, yeah, hmm. I was... So, same settings for the game and just optimizing the video card? Yeah, because it went uh-huh. back to an older version of Wine that had tweaks and everything. And it uh-huh. just it just screams now. So I'm actually getting uh, about 10 frames better than I did under Windows 10. Nice. I, I can't quite remember if I had everything, but I, I usually have the same setup. And it's very, very, it's buttery smooth. So, Sean, very nice. you're the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, thanks, Sean. And yeah. for our listeners, we'll put Sean's link in the show notes for this episode instead of having to refer you to the original episode and have to go scroll through there and try to yeah. find it. We'll just put it in this episode. Yeah, I'm naming Sean as the uh 
the uh, Guild Wars 2 official minion. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate that. It really made a huge difference. Very nice. Yep. Thanks, Sean. Thanks. All right. Shall we get into our first audio recording submission? Yes. From Paul. Yeah. So this wasn't through our voicemail line. Paul actually recorded this and sent it in by email, which is why it's so nice and clear in his recording. So thanks, Paul, for that. Um, so he wrote a little email kind of to cover off what it was about. And essentially his, um, uh, his question is around what we talked about in episode 352, our last listener feedback episode. And he gives some audio background and a problem clarification in the audio file he provides. But his cover email says, Larry and Bill, I always like to hear listener feedback and audio. I realize how tough podcasting is. I worked a long time just to get less than three minutes of audio to you. If you can use it, feel free to do so. If it doesn't meet your rigorous standards, no worries. Just toss it. Thanks for making such a valuable contribution to the Linux community. Paul in North Texas. Well, Paul, I think uh, you did a fantastic job of this uh, MP3 file that you attached. So here it is. Hello, Larry and Bill. This is Paul from North Texas Calling, and I appreciate so much you're taking my comment on the last listener feedback, number 352. I discussed the issue of installing Linux Mint versus installing it, doing something else, and how those two installations compared. And I thank you, Larry, for your answer there. And Bill, appreciate your comment on the second point. I was trying to resize a boot partition. And I should have given you a little bit of a background on, on why. I, I support a couple of family members uh, running Linux. They came to me and wanted, uh, they were tired of Windows and wanted uh, an alternative. So we gave them uh, computers with installation of Linux Mint. The first installation I sent out was Linux Mint 17.3. I had set up this computer by choosing doing something else and naming the sizes of the partitions. The boot partition, I made it about 300 megabytes, which I had read online was what I thought was an optimal size, and then swap, then system files, and then home. What ended up happening over the period of about two years was the boot partition filled up with old Linux kernel images, is what they were called, kernel images until the boot partition was entirely full. So the update process didn't got to the point where it could not remove some of the kernels that were there. I tried to manually remove some of the kernel images and I could not do so in Synaptic. Synaptic would not allow me to do that. So I just had to take the computer back and, and swap out a computer with an, a fresh install of Linux Mint. So I don't understand what's happening when I have a boot partition of approximately 300 megabytes and I start out with a fresh install that has only a fraction of that, less than a third used, and then as time goes on the boot partition begins to fill. I'm wondering exactly what is filling up the boot partition besides kernel images? Is that the only thing that's filling up the boot partition, and I'm hoping that the later versions of 
Linux Mint 18.2 and 18.3 have taken care of making sure that the boot partition has the older images, kernel images, removed and don't fill up the boot partition. Thank you, Larry and Bill. Okay, Paul. So thanks for that background on the partitioning of your hard drive. What do you think, Bill? Um, well, first off, Paul, that uh, audio submission sounded great. Um, and so I was talking to Larry about this, and we were kind of looking at my system and, and trying to figure out what exactly was going on. And I was having trouble uh, putting to, you know putting it together, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. Linux version, uh, kernel versions are fairly small. I've never had that. So we were going through it, and um, I think I might know what's going on. Because when he's doing his, um, without seeing his partition, if he's doing his boot, which is the forward slash, um, if he's not making a separate... Uh, like home that he because he said 300 megs he might have meant 300 gigs but it said 300 megs uh, i'm just wondering if it's not filling up with programs and updates and stuff because uh, linux kernels are, are really small i mean i and so i'm thinking that it's just a partition uh maybe a partition problem so what i would suggest is uh if you read when you uh, have a chance to redo it. Uh, first, you'll do um, your forward slash, and that'll be your boot. And then uh, make make another partition of at least 20 gigabytes. That's what uh, Linux Mint's uh, um, documentation says. Uh, forward slash and put home, and that will install all the programs into that partition. And then, you, of course, you can have your swap. Uh, if you or I've um, would also suggest unless you absolutely have just a small hard drive or you really like to have your hands in it, just let the Linux uh, Mint partitioner just choose the sizes because I've never had an issue if I've done it that way. I've messed it up a few times when I wanted to play with it, uh, trying to get mine right. And uh, but I would say just go with the defaults if you can. And usually things work just fine. I've never had an issue. Um, the our old uh, uh, co-host uh, uh, Tom. Now he didn't run Linux Mint, but he ran Ubuntu, which is Linux Mint and Ubuntu Monte is based on. And if you remember, we were uh, laughing at him because he had upgraded through uh, from all the real early versions all the way up never redid a nuke and pave like uh, i'm apt to do and he kept installing and he uh and just upgrading 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 for like five or six versions and he uh and then he was starting to have some problems about version eight so we finally said you know tom you got to go ahead and just do a clean you got a lot of cruft but that was over what, a couple of years so yeah, i'm at least and, yeah, lots of kernel versions, and he just accepted the, the defaults. So that's what I'm thinking. Just go ahead and accept the defaults unless there's a reason for you to to select uh, specific ones or you're using a hybrid system or something like that. It doesn't sound like you are, but I think that might be it. What do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. The partition, the uh, boot partition or the root partition 
seems a little um, small on the small side. And I suspect that as programs are being installed, applications are being installed, they're filling up. Um, if you do need to remove the old kernels or if you just want to remove the old kernels, uh, I've put a link in the show notes on how to do that from the Linux Mint forums. So it's a fairly recent uh, post that has both the command line way and the graphical way of doing that. But I think, Paul, in your voice message, you mentioned that you that, that the user was getting rid of Windows. It It might be just as Bill suggests, better to start over, accept the default partitioning from Linux Mint. It's going to choose reasonable defaults, and it'll probably work without any further tweaking for you. So good luck with that. Let us know how it goes, Paul. Yeah, okay. So our next email comes from Jackie, and he wrote about a hybrid system. And he writes, Hi, Bill and Larry. I am a longtime listener and enjoy the show. Bill has talked about having a hybrid system, and I'd like to try the same on my System76 Galago. Is that right? Yep. Galago Ultra Pro. I have a 110 gigabyte SSD and a one terabyte spinner. How do I do this in the OS on the SSD, and everything else is on the second hard on second hard drive? Thanks, Jackie. Oh, that's it's real simple, Jackie. Uh, do you want me to do it, or do you want to tell them how to do it? Go Larry? for it. Go All for right. It. All right. If you're running an Ubuntu system, uh, it's real simple. Others should be very similar to this. So I'm going. I'm going to use the Linux uh, Mint one that I'm using to how it's set up. So you um, get all the way up to you know the partitioning, and of course, if you have something that says, do you want to install some side by side? Do you want to do a complete? Uh, you don't want any of that. At the very bottom, there's a little checkbox that says, do something else. Okay. So you go uh, and you click that and hit continue, and it brings up, up the part- uh, a partition. And, and so then what you what how I do it is make sure you back up all your data because this is this is going to wipe out everything out, um, out of your partitions, everything. Um, I go ahead and delete all the partitions using the um, the tool if you have a hybrid system uh, you'll probably have uh, you'll see two SSD you'll say SDA and then SDB so first one you'll you'll see that it's it's the, uh, the SSD because it'll be the smaller of the two so you go uh, and click click uh, create new uh, uh, partition on that drive and then down there, there's a little thing it calls, it's like label uh, in the menu. It's on, usually on the right-hand side. And what you do is uh, there's a drop-down menu, and you'll see the forward slash. Um, and that's what you'll want. That, that's telling the, the partitioner that's where all the system files goes. Then you'll go, and that's all you do with that one. Then you go down to the uh, second big drive, the one terabyte drive, and you just create a partition, take the whole thing. Unless you uh, want to create a um, a swap, I, I don't even bother with swap. I have enough memory, so. Um, but you can make a swap. But whatever's left over, uh, you cut, you tell it, um, 
you want to use the rest of the partition or the whole partition. And then you go back down to the same uh, uh, label uh, and in, hit the down, and it brings up the menu, the down arrow. And you're going to select uh, forward slash home. And what that does is tells the operating system all programs go to there. Then once you're done, it'll, it will automatically choose to format it. You hit continue. You go through the rest of the setup, and when you when you get in, um, it's everything. All the system files will sit on SSD, which means it starts up really fast. And when you restart, it comes up real fast. And then you look at the programs, and all the programs are actually on the um, on your big uh, spinner. But it auto automatically knows you just didn't put all the programs and downloads to your one terabyte drive, and it doesn't save anything to your SSD. And to give you an example, I actually pulled up my um, way my partition set up right now. And so I have 128 gigabyte SSD and I've just updated it a few times and and basically I still have 111 gigabytes uh, free so I've only used 13.4% of the drive and I've been running and installing programs. Now my one terabyte drive uh, I've um, I've been installing programs, Guild Wars, <clears throat> and, you know, for testing purposes. There, that's it. Mm -hmm. And of course, and of course, and I have eighteen. I have eight hundred and sixteen gigabytes still free, which is eighteen point four full. So all the programs are just being um, installed there, and all the downloads. So I never have to uh, worry about filling up my drive, uh, my my little SSD. Uh, but I get all the benefits of starting quickly. Um, kind of a fun note on a Windows 10 system, you actually have to dig through the menus to tell it where to install your programs, and then it doesn't always work. Um, you have to actually go and tell it, I want you to put all my stuff here. That, so it's not as smart as Linux. So once you tell it, to put everything in home, it just puts it in home. You don't have to worry about it throwing files all over the place. So, yeah, that's that's the quick and dirty. Yeah. Well, and just a note, um, before I had my Dell that I have now, I had a System76 Galago Pro, uh, Galago Ultra Pro. And I know System76 has changed the hardware and kept the model name the same, so I don't know whether yours was ex is exactly the same as mine was. But in mine... Um, I had a similar sort of configuration uh, with a 100 gigabyte SSD and a 500 gigabyte spinning hard drive. Actually, I had a 500 gigabyte uh, SSD as the second as well. And I noticed that the um, that the larger drive, the one that goes that you, that you can install in the bay, uh, it has it it has the designation of SDA. Why it did that and the pre-installed drive was SDB, I have no idea. But it, it just be careful of the uh, the designation there. It, SDA may not be the SSD in your case. It may be the, the spinning drive. Just check the sizes as you're partitioning and that'll give you a clue. Since you have significantly different size drives, it's, it'll be easy to see, to see the difference. Yeah. Okay, so Jackie, let us know how that goes. Sounds like a challenge. 
Well, not that much of a challenge. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. And his system uh, is pretty close uh, to mine as far as the size of the SSDs. And I've, like I said, I've that's how I run mine, and I've had zero problems. Uh, and so, yeah, if he's got 16 gigabytes of RAM, I mean, I've had browsers open, and I think the most I've ever used on system resources is like four gigabytes of 16. So it never, mm-hmm. never needs to have swap. I mean, if you're doing large video files, you might need it. But for average day-to-day use, this setup that I'm running seems to work just fine. Yep, absolutely. So let me know, Jackie. I'm kind of interested to see how you like it. And tell me which ver- uh, distribution you're using. Yeah, there you go. All right, our next email is from Daniel, who is our blind computer user in the UK. And he says, hello, Larry and Bill. Uh, Years ago on Linux Podcast, people would speak of KDE quite a bit. It seems as though the desktop is not talked about much these days. What do you think? Also, I would like your thoughts on KDE and accessibility. Here is a text of an email about that. Uh, I send this to you just in case it might be of interest to others. So here is the email text that he's sending over. It says, hello, everyone. I'm a totally blind computer user who has tried Linux with with GNOME, Mate, and the distributions tried include Ubuntu, Vinix, Sonar, and Accessible Coconut. Though Linux is somewhat familiar to me, I know nothing of KDE. Is that in certain distributions of Linux. Also, how usable for totally blind users is KDE? Here is an answer from someone. The nearest thing you'll find usable for KDE is the silent distro if you install KDE packages. But I don't recommend installing KDE as your desktop since there is a good reason nobody ever rolled an accessible KDE ISO, the equivalent of Linux, yet. Lots of it, even with Qt5, remain inaccessible. Wrote about silence after beginning a program. Hmm. I think he's included a second email here as well. It says, hello, I am using Ubuntu Mate 18.04 to put a distro onto a USB. I used Disk Image Writer. After starting this program, Orca seemed to stop talking through Be My Eyes. I found... An authentication request window had opened. After typing my password and then entering that window went away. My guess is that was a terminal window. Anyone had that happen? Why will Orca talk when I start a terminal, but not in this situation? Also, would something called eSpeakUp give speech all the time if the terminal pops up? Here's an answer from someone. Another email, I guess. As far as I know, the password window not speaking is a bug. I had this problem in Ubuntu 8 years ago. I thought it was fixed. I haven't had a problem with Arch slash Mate and didn't think Ubuntu Mate had that problem either, but maybe it's a new bug. eSpeakUp is simply an interface that SpeakUp uses to talk using eSpeak. SpeakUp is a kernel-based screen reader for text-only environments. It doesn't speak at all in a desktop environment, not even when the terminal is open. You could try Fenrir, F-E-N-R-I-R, which has a graphical terminal mode, 
but its keyboard shortcuts are a bit um, unusual when used in the terminal <laughs> mode. Orca is still one of the most reliable choices for reading the terminal window. Here is our second comment from the same person. Didn't see this initially. The password window is not a terminal window. That doesn't explain why it doesn't speak, but does explain why the terminal window does work. The authentication window is, I believe, from PolicyKit. And as far as I know, most of its bugs were fixed a long time ago. Although, as I mentioned earlier, this one may be either a new bug or a regression. So, um, lots of input there from Daniel. Yeah. Um, any thoughts, especially around KDE? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Let me just put on my flame retardant suit here. I do not like KDE. Uh, you were laughing at me about three weeks ago when I tried the latest version, and it just does not work for me. I, I don't think it's very accessible even to a sighted person. So <laughs> I know there's some people who like KDE and more power to them, but for me, it is um, – how to say this nicely? It's junk to me. So I don't like it. I don't think the it, – it's getting better, I'm sure, but it's just – things just don't operate uh, the way uh, my mind works. So that being said, um, I don't like KD at all. Uh, I do have a general um, statement on this – all this accessibility, and it's as follows – we can do better than this, guys. We've got to uh, have better support for accessibility for people with disabilities, especially low sight or no sight individuals. Uh, I don't know why we don't. I mean, we we do incredible stuff with our with our distributions, and I would really, really like to see uh, some you know so, so support for these guys. Um, I know. If I had the ability, I would work on it, but it's probably it's beyond me. And I, you know, not everybody's a coder, but I I just think we can do better. It's it's ridiculous that in this day and age we can't have access uh, more accessibility built into Linux, especially with as many people that work on it. Um, I will say that I believe uh, Ubuntu Mate. Out of all of them that I know, the I think it has a lot of uh, accessibility built in and some uh, programs that you can that work a little bit better. I don't think they work very well with Mint because it's it's it just hasn't um, it's so uh, what is it uh, customized. So I would suggest staying with a Mate desktop, uh, Ubuntu. Uh, seems to have the most software. Uh, what do you think, Larry? Am I awfulness, or do you, you kind of agree on that? Yeah, I agree. Um, I have not used KDE in a long time, and so I can't speak from personal experience, but I've heard comments similar to yours around accessibility under KDE. They put a lot of work into it, but it's not, it, it's not at the same level as Mate for accessibility. And although... I haven't tried the coconut distribution of Linux. I do know that uh, Vinix has some quirks to it. Sonar is no longer in production. And Ubuntu, because it's using GNOME, 
Um, I can't speak too much for that. But what I can say is of all of the uh, distributions that I've used and tested out accessibility on, and I've, I've tested out a few, um, Ubuntu Mate seems to be the best and the Mate desktop seems to be the best implementation of the Orca screen reader. And that is what I'm going to stick to for my recommendations for blind users. Um, as far as the password uh, window not speaking, uh, I think the email that Daniel provided talks about the fact that it's not a terminal window, it's, it's a password window. And one of the reasons I suspect the password window doesn't speak is because you don't want it speaking your password as you enter it. Although I suspect that what he's saying is it doesn't even tell you that the window is uh, up and waiting for your input. So I think um, that's... That could be a problem. Um, yeah, that's definitely a problem. And uh, also, I think one of the emails suggests it might be a, um, you know, a reoccurrence of the uh, of the bug that they had a while ago or mm -hmm. regression, as the email said. So that could be what's going on. And uh, so I would still stick with Ubuntu Mate and realize that, um, you know, it's got this issue and it'll eventually be fixed for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, that 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 happens. So, Daniel, you pretty much know that you... <laughs> We don't like KDE for accessibility, and some of us don't like KDE just because we don't like KDE. So uh, I will um, also make a suggestion to anybody that you know has some time or talents, um, maybe go over to the Orca project and uh, uh, see if you can help them, um, you know, improve their their uh, their application. You know, I'm sure they. They uh, they can they'll accept any help they can get. So let's let's get this up where it needs to be for our blind Linux users or anybody with disabilities. Right, and I think in this case it's it's not Orca. It's probably the desktop environment that needs the help here, whether it's Mate or GNOME. Yeah. Or well, Martin's pretty Kate. good uh, with. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Martin, uh, so you know, maybe uh, if Martin hears this, he'll uh, um, say, "Hey, you know, let, let's look at it." But you know, I think they do a pretty good job. So, anyway, let's move on to uh, our next email that come from David, and he provided a post on the Linux market research. Okay. Okay. It says, "Hi, Larry. Hi, Bill. Thought you guys might find this interesting. Linux has been discovered by a." market research company here's the link and the link is in the show notes and it go and the uh, the title of the article is linux operating system industry technological innovation global market size share emerging trends growth and key driver okay so we'll just uh, it goes on but that's the general gist of it so he says, I have a Google Alert set up about Linux Mint, so if there is anything new or interesting, I get notified. This is the first time that I've noticed that a market research paper has been published. Commercially written market research papers are normally quite expensive. The fact that such a paper is available for purchase implies that there are, in the estimation of the writers, companies interested enough to buy the research. A sample 
is available, but I have no interest in providing my details to get one. No idea what this signifies at this stage, but it is interesting. Bestest, Dave. Hey, Dave, thanks for that, and uh, I'm just stupid enough to give them details so I can see what it looks like. But, yeah, that would be interesting to see what they have to say. Yeah, I have not forked over my information, so and don't intend to. So I'll rely on your review when you uh, when you have a chance to read it. Okay, right. <laughs> just copy and paste and send it over to you. Uh, uh, there we go. Thank you, David. Thanks. Uh, moving to Colin's email about replacing a swap partition for a swap file. Hi, Larry and Bill. In the latest episode of Going Linux, a listener asked what he needed to do to increase the size of the swap partition. The answer is you don't need to do a great deal at all. Most, including Ubuntu, Arch, and Gentoo, if not all Linux distros, allow you to install a swap file in the main distro partition. The swap file can be made to replace the swap partition by modifying the etsy slash fs tab file. Ubuntu and Ubuntu derivatives already have a swap file built in. To check, open a terminal and type in sudo s-w-a-p-o-n swap on dash dash show. There are a number of excellent articles about installing and configuring Ubuntu uh, swap file. We'll have a link to a couple of um, articles that uh, Colin is providing. He says, for other distributions, just Google swap file. Hope this helps. Great show. Excellent presenters. Keep up the good work. Regards, Colin. Thanks, Colin. Okay. Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, Bill, you're an excellent presenter. Uh, he, so. Are you sure he's listening to our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, thanks, you, Colin. Okay. Uh, hey, uh, Larry, I want to raise because Colin says I'm an excellent uh, present presenter. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, thanks, um, Colin. So yeah. Um, Let's move on to our next email, and it's from Michael, who wrote about putting Linux on a USB stick. Recently, I bought some USB sticks for putting Linux on. However, when I go into UNet booting in Windows 10 after putting a USB stick into the USB ports, my Windows screen reader, which is uh, non-visual desktop access or NVDA, an open source screen reader which people can choose to donate to. The controls are read in UNet booting like one control uh, for downloading distros, which I press space or enter on a on a control. All I get in the readout is the control of the download distros and nothing happens. This happens when I tab to each option like the one to select to burn or copy from an image. I can't remember off the top of my head which of the op uh, options are in UNet booting, but I am sure you will know what I mean. I don't know if this is an issue has anything to do with recognizing my USB sticks. They are the ones which have a hinge or swivel where the metal cover moves up and down the cover or uncover the ports. Michael's email continues. And can you grab that one, Larry? Sure. He says, by the time you get this email and reply, I may have an answer as tomorrow I am meeting one of the bus drivers in Huddersfield 
who knows me through uh, the now discontinued HUDLUG, Huddersfield Linux Users Group, because he has offered to take me to a Doctor Who convention next year if I can afford it. Lucky Something else dog. we are both interested lucky, lucky, in lucky. as well as Linux. I know this was a good while ago when I was first trying to use Linux when I mentioned having problems playing movies before I think the Ubuntu Mate was created. But that video I mentioned, Doctor Who and the Ark in Space, or Doctor Who, the Ark in Space, was a genuine DVD copy and not downloaded or one which can be copied by someone else for me. At the time, it could have been either my lack of experience with Ubuntu when trying to get the media codecs, or possibly it might have been how the BBC uh, encrypts their TV programs when they produce the DVDs. So it could have been DRM encoded. Most likely that's what it is, uh, Michael. Mm -hmm. All the best with Going Linux. In one of my latest emails, I mentioned a program called Last of the Summer Wine, which is a Yorkshire comedy. So there may be people in other countries who may not have understood the reference to it. All the best with Going Linux, Michael. Okay, Michael. Um, lots of, again, lots of information in there. So the USB stick issue. It sounds to me like the controls not being read properly um is is an accessibility issue with unit bootin um it i don't think that the style of usb stick being the one with the little metal hinge thing uh i don't think that that has anything to do with it um usb sticks or usb sticks are just a piece of ram on a circuit card inside of whatever the housing is and in your case your housing has uh, a metal cover uh some of them don't but uh, be that as it may, I'm thinking it's probably has it probably has something to do with the uh, inaccessibility or incomplete accessibility implementation on UNet Putin. Yeah. Uh, if you do a Google search on Ubuntu uh, to make a USB stick, it will take you to their page. They have a page, and they actually recommend a different uh, program for Windows 10 that might work a little better for you. Okay, our next email is from Highlander, who asked about Kali install. Dear Larry, do you have any ideas? I've tried to install Kali Linux to 2018.3 i386 version to a netbook. The live version works fine, but I want to install to the hard drive. The problem is the first 30 seconds of startup. The start page blinks several times and boots directly to the live version. I don't have an opportunity to select what I want to do. It doesn't matter if I use USB or DVD boot options. The result is the same. I need to contact the people who maintain the distro. The live version needs to have an install option to hard drive just like Mint and Ubuntu have. I believe this option will bypass the install problems I have now. So, again, got any ideas? Signed. Computer technician. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So not all of the Linux distributions installation programs are made equally. It sounds like Kali has uh, a live version that doesn't give you an install option. So you, you yeah. have to, uh, when it starts up, probably just as that first 30 seconds page blinks, um, you probably need to press escape or something on the keyboard and that might take you into a menu. 
uh, it certainly it needs to be before the um, before it actually boots to a desktop. Um, and I agree that if you can talk to the Kali people and ask them to do something similar to what Ubuntu has done, and if they're cooperative and can do that, that would be better. But uh, usually what happens is when there's a, a demo version uh, or a, a, if there's a, a live boot version like this, uh, it will give you a, a menu to select install, uh, but you need to press a key before it actually boots into the live environment. And usually that key is escape. I can't speak for Kali. I don't know for sure, but um, that's that would be my suggestion. Bill, thoughts? I have no idea about Kelly. I've never tried it. And no, Larry, I'm not going to be <laughs> trying it. <laughs> just Okay. <laughs> just, no, I'm not doing it. I can't break it. My computer It's working too well right now, and then I would have to redo all the Guild Wars wonder, wonderfulness. So uh, I say probably just reach out to the um, – the, the developers and see if they can help you out. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we had another email from Angelo, and he wrote about Linux for the blind. And he writes, Hi, Bill and Larry. There are two versions of Linux available for the visually impaired, the Accessible Coconut 16.04.27 and Vinix 5.1. If it is easier for Mike, I can put these ISOs in my Dropbox folder and send you the direct links. Great podcast. 73 and 2DYN Angelo. Thanks, Angelo. Yeah, and those two versions are specifically designed for the blind. Yeah. Accessible Coconut and Vinix. But like I said, um, Ubuntu Mate provides accessibility built in, and the all, all of the programs you need for accessibility. Uh, if you're blind, are included with Ubuntu Mate, and it's just a matter of hitting the keys that we have described uh, previously for getting it to start up, reading from from boot. So um, once you've done that, everything should work fine. Yep, I think that's uh, those are great uh, suggestions, Angelo. Thanks. And we have a gone Linux story to wrap things up. We- do. This is the one we, yes, we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. It's from Mario. Hi, Bill and Larry. Just wanted to share my own experience with Linux Mint 19. I've been using Ubuntu since 14.04, still using the same hardware since then. Intel i7 with 32 gigabytes of RAM, an SSD drive for the OS, and a SATA drive for the home partition, which I had very few issues with. But like every Linux enthusiast, I wanted to get the latest and greatest, so I moved on to other versions of Ubuntu and got all kind of annoying issues, uh, like you do when you've just updated your system. System was perfectly stable, and the next day, VirtualBox stopped working with an unknown error message. After browsing the net for solutions, finding out something has been updated and no longer works with the new version of the XYZ library or the video driver getting kernel integration issues, so no graphical interface. Anyhow, I had surprises every day, and I could have had a better day without them. When I moved to Debian a few months, uh, for a few months, close to a year, which was very stable but very far from cutting-edge technology. I still like Debian, 
but decided to give another try to Ubuntu, latest and greatest, and I hear good comments about it. I did try Ubuntu 18.04, Ubuntu Mate 18.04, and Ubuntu Budgie 18.04. After trying them in VirtualBox, I did not have too much issue with Budgie version. I still have issues with Ubuntu GNOME and Mate. I had a panel issue I couldn't find a solution for at the time. I went forward installing Budgie on my computer, and I don't know why. Got again another panel issue, which I could install multiple panels for my three monitors. I decided to give Linux Mint 19 a try, and since then I feel so far having the best of both worlds. I feel Linux Mint 19 Cinnamon is very stable and acceptably fast. I'm using it as my job computer, running VMs for the WOS, and connect to different computer systems. I do have three panels, one for each of the screens, which feels now like home. Here's a rant about the WOS update. The M company is taking us in hostage of their update procedure, especially if you do have the home edition. My kids are screaming when the WOS decides that now is a good time to update the computer while they're doing their homework or completing a school project. That's when I'm not getting the, I clicked on cancel now, the computer doesn't want to boot anymore. I guess I have to thank the M company for providing me a lifelong job fixing these issues. I, I share with you a few comments about Linux Mint 19, which uh, is a bit slower than Ubuntu to start, but between you and me, it's a lot faster than the WOS, and for the cost of it, I get used to it a few tiny seconds slower than Ubuntu. LOL. Keep up the good job even after all these years you've been doing the podcast. You are still interesting and always providing information to get things done. Have a nice day. Well, thanks, Mario. Uh, lots of uh, good review on the realistic um, experience of <laughs> working in Linux. And just, you know, jumping between distros and getting everything working just perfectly and then changing distros and things stop working. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, I can feel your pain when I had to deal with uh, the W. Uh, it was that has happened more than once. And Larry's heard me uh, cuss and fuss and scream up and down about uh, it losing my work. And he finally said, just when are you going to get rid of that thing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got rid of it and I haven't had that issue anymore. So maybe it's time to move your kids over to Linux Mint that way. Uh, well, now we put you have a job. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, exactly. Yeah. And, but anyway, yeah. Thanks for the great uh, email. And, and it's great that you like, um, Linux Mint, it's a good distro. It's my favorite, uh, as I've said before. But um, uh, one thing I I do want to uh, ask you, Larry, before we just close this, this out is I, I haven't heard many people have problems with Ubuntu Mate as far as getting all the panels up. Do you, Was there a bug or something? Uh, didn't they just fix them something that was causing a problem? I can't remember. I remember reading something about it. Yeah, in 1710, when they first released some new panels, there were some issues they had with the panels. 
as you switch them, sometimes they wouldn't uh, populate all the icons and things properly. Oh, okay. But they did fix that. And I noticed that when the they released the first image of 18.04, that problem was still there, but it quickly got fixed. And so it shouldn't be there anymore. And I haven't noticed on my computer uh, and on the other computers where I've installed 18.04 cool. Ubuntu Mate okay. uh, since then. So I think we're okay now. Yeah. Okay. So I think, Bill, speaking of the W operating system, our next episode is going to be something about Windows 10 versus Linux again, part two. Yes, it's our second in our two-part series about how to move from Windows 10 to Linux. The first one um, it talks about how to make sure that you get your you know testing, get all your stuff backed up, and then the second part is basically how to get it installed, how to restore your your data, and how to uh, get things working so you can just get things done. Okay. So until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. If you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.